Hello, my friends, and oh, thank you very much for coming. Busy, busy, busy. Very busy. So much to do in so little time. What am I talking about? That's ridiculous. My apologies, dear friends. I am glad you're here. Every time you come and visit me, I delight to be reminded that there is always time to stop and tell a story. Or hear a story. Or just close your eyes and enjoy this forest that is most certainly real. Forgive me, but it is. You see these trees, don't you? You see the lake, with its fog still rolling, more and more so now as we approach the most joyful celebration of them all. Good. For a moment I thought it was just me. You see, there's been a fair bit of doubt around that subject in these parts over the last week. It's hard to stop and remember magic when you've got so many other things, real things, things that belong to the more other world, the more aggressive other world. But I am of both. Well, depending on which I I am referring to, I suppose. But in the end, it's all the same, and I struggle to... No. Correction. I strive to be the same me in each world. It seems impossible at times. But nothing is impossible. Perhaps that is why, when I sat down to ask my tarot cards a question, I was a little... perturbed. I asked them to help me celebrate. Help me celebrate the full moon tonight. Help me celebrate freely with ghosts during their revels next week. Help me celebrate the times in between the celebrations. The little moments of quiet. Or even the moments of noise. Help me celebrate the world and myself. I asked them this and I drew the Knight of Cups, reversed. Now this knight can mean general over-emotionality, a tendency towards moodiness, jealousy, sulking. But I want to talk more about what this card suggests is causing those things, because that is what really set me off. This card speaks to the way we can be so stuck in an imaginary world. An overly romanticized world. A fantasy world. That we become dissatisfied and disillusioned with the real world. We mourn or rage against the fact that it is not what we have in our minds. Fair enough. Sure, sure. But what I am wondering is... How else are we to make the real world more fantastical, more romantic, more attuned to what we desire, if we do not first experience that disappointment? How dare my deck suggest that I need to lower my expectations 
that I should leave behind the imaginary that I hold so dear. That was my first reaction, mind you. I apologized to my cards shortly after. Because again, I asked for help. Help celebrating. And perhaps first I must discover what it is that I find so disappointing, so unimaginative in my other life. I've said it before. It does not do to separate the two. I am me in all worlds, and I can bring whatever I want to bring in either world. I also feel guilty, because again, I do not feel that there is a story. Not a story like there was last week, anyway. But there is instead just a feeling. A feeling of busyness, action, activity. Because there is so much to do to turn this forest into somewhere lost spirits will love. Little things from the aggressive and real place sometimes make their way in. Things like alarm clocks. Things like empty plastic water bottles. Things like old cell phones and little pieces of paper with ancient transactions recorded on them. I clean them up. I clean and I clean and I clean, but they come back. So I either give up, or I keep cleaning. So I keep cleaning. I feel guilty that I do not want to add conflict to that. Perhaps that, instead, is what the conflict must be. Against the things that leak themselves into this world. Insinuating themselves where there ought to be leaves and candles and music. I require protection. I create my own protection. What if one were to achieve the mighty goal of creating their own little troop of warriors, their own special bodyguard, and breathing life into them, from nothing but the sheer power of one's own imagination? I hear something far away. It is the sound of hooves, hammering, pounding against cold earth. But I also hear, at the same time, chains rattling. Birds scatter overhead, shadowing the setting sunlight here. And I think I know who is coming. I see a horse running through the trees. I have seen ghostly horses here before, but none quite like this. This one is a shining, lovely white. Its eyes, I swear, are golden. But they are wide and afraid, and so I see white around them, too. She runs towards me, but at the sight of whatever on earth I currently look like, she balks in terror, rearing up on her hind legs. I stand my ground, and she likes this even less. But I know that she's stamping her hooves, flaring her nostrils, so that I might cede victory to her. 
but I won't. This is my forest, and I don't accept bluster or threats. Thus conquered, she stills herself, and the sound of the chains, wherever they come from, stops. The horse bows her head. She closes her eyes, and she kneels to the ground, lying there, finally giving herself a moment to rest. Now that she has experienced not exerting control over something, not dominating another thing, she finds it is actually surprisingly nice. And she does rest. I have barely noticed the next horse, a strange kind of red horse. Have you ever heard of such a thing before? I think I have too. Anyway, a red horse is circling her, as though he has been waiting for a moment, a single moment for her to let her guard down before he strikes and defeats her. I hear in the distance a sound, musical, strange, almost like a harpsichord, and the red horse cannot seem to stand it. His eyes too are red, and he has violence in them, but I despise violence, and so I flash my eyes at him, and I do not know if they are black or gold or brown. I no longer know or care what I look like if I'm being honest. But I can tell that whatever color they are, this horse sees only power. And he too walks slowly into the circle here. And he too lies down and rests. Now a third horse approaches. Three horses. What next? This one, however, does not want combat. It does not rage or rant or attack or retreat. It creeps forward. It is smaller than the others. It is weak, I can see it. And it is afraid, very, very afraid, of the sound of someone singing, laughing in the distance. It is a beautiful black horse all the same, though. It gently nuzzles its nose into my hands, and I manage to find a cluster of berries, sweet and preserved from the long-dead summertime, from within my twisting, vine-like hair. And I offer it to this horse, who eats them quickly and a little greedily, before joining the other two on the ground. For a time, it knows peace, too. Now you know what comes next, don't you? You know that I find it hard to leave ancient, well-known stories alone. But I do intend to make them my own. These other three horses came to me, riderless and afraid and alone. They are each meant to have a rider. Where can they be? Do I want to find out?
And furthermore, where is the fourth? There must be a fourth. There is always a fourth. Isn't there? I stare down at my card, at the Knight of Cups, upside down. He too has a horse. The card looks back at me and I cannot help but feel it mocking me a little, challenging me. Return to reality, submit to practicality. I say out loud, No. The three horses look up at me as though waiting for me to continue. There is an incomplete square here with these three. But I have an audience for a story, and I like that. I have you here, too, listening, my friends. You may sit or lay down as well. And I will tell you a little story about a different night. There was once a young captain, an upright man of noble birth, a knight for a ruthless and victorious king. He had trained his whole life for nothing but battle, and for the longest time he did nothing other than fight and maybe eat and sleep sometimes. In battle he was unmatched, too. An impressive sight he was in his glistening armor, made of bronze and decorated with shining white. He was strong, so much so that, on the battlefield, if he swung his mighty sword even with one hand, it could knock down ten men, if he planned it carefully enough. His arms each seemed almost as large as a tree trunk one might use to knock down a barricaded gate with. He decorated his face with the splattered blood of other warriors the same way one might decorate their face with rouge or powder. But more and more, as each battle was completed and won, he was growing more and more exhausted of it. He had never loved it, but he had always been good at it, and so it was the easiest way for him to live, for him to earn a living. And so he had just fought his whole life. It was his final battle, for his king had decreed that after this he could be made a lord and retire in a kind of well-earned peace, though he doubted he'd ever have that. In this battle, he fought every man who charged at him. He rarely charged at anyone, again, for he did not love fighting. But when they came at him... They did not stand a chance, and so they crashed upon him like a wave against a mighty rock, and he broke them up like so many droplets, falling back down to the sea. But one made him stop. It was a young man, little more than a boy, far too young for this. He caught the boy up by the throat to have a look at him. And in the boy's eyes he saw himself as a young man. In a moment where he had paused from training to sit by a brook and watch the water and hum a little to himself, 
surrounded by trees and warm sun and fragrant flowers. In that moment, he was certain he'd seen someone, too. He locked eyes with someone in a little shadow between a bush and a tree. Glowing yellow eyes. A grinning, fanged mouth. And a black, curling claw extending towards him from a long, graceful finger, beckoning him forward. He was certain that it was an emissary from the fairyland, from the realm of the Fae, maybe the king or queen of the fairies themselves, even, calling him, offering a choice. You can go home and continue to learn how to fight, or you can come with us instead and learn how to live. His father was calling him in the distance his voice impatient and foreboding. And though that finger and those eyes and that grin seemed to mean well, he was scared. He was scared to leave behind everything he knew so well. To leave behind the thing that had earned him praise and success to this point. So he stood and slowly retreated, then ran home, back to father and brothers and sword and shield, and eventually the battlefield. He was brought back to the moment now in his later manhood, his enormous arm still holding up the poor, young man, who had also made the wrong choice, it seemed, and he saw his own eyes pleading back at him, and he could not complete the battle. He dropped him to the ground, and left his sword there, too. He mounted his horse, and he began to leave. Where are you going, Captain? One of his men called out. The battle was won, it was clear, so he was not suspected of desertion, but there were parades, banquets, ceremonies still to be had. The knight called back. The fairy realm... The king rode forward to congratulate him on his final victory, but the knight did not stop. Where do you go, brave sir knight? He too asked, to which the knight replied once more, The fairy realm. His brothers rode to him from their place in the field as well and said, Brother, why are you not stopping? Where are you going with such haste? and he simply answered the same thing. The fairy realm. And he rode off to the woods, ignoring the sound of confused yet uproarious laughter behind him. They didn't need to understand. He'd never understood really anyway. And he was done living like that. For ten years he rode, following nothing but his own instinct and the instinct of his steed, of course, until he reached a forest with black, spider-like trees. His bronze armor had begun to turn a dark green from being caught in the rain and snow over the years. This forest had a different feeling to it, so he knew he was on the right track. He saw bones, 
both animal and human, leading to the cave. He followed them and waited at the entrance. He heard a great roar. Why do you come here, O knight? said a growling voice from within. Do you seek a battle? I am looking for the fairy realm, he answered only. And an enormous lion slowly padded his way out of the cavern, blood on his jaws and guts in his claws. You are a fool, the lion grumbled. But he saw the size of the knight and decided he didn't want a battle either. There is no such thing. Head on home, stranger, for there is only death ahead. But he did not turn back. He kept going where the forest grew even darker and colder. The lion laughed and went back into his meal of gore and viscera. The knight traveled through this wood for another ten years, and his back ached and his eyes were weak and his armor was now the color of moss. But he felt a sharp breeze against his cheek, and his ear caught a whisper on the wind, and he was sure. He was so sure that he was coming closer and closer to magic. So he persevered. He followed the sound of the whisper but it was soon joined by a chorus of whispers. And the whispers became screams and howls. And he began to see faces in the trees, between the trees, in the leaves, ghostly faces screaming in agony, howling in a horrific symphony of wind and pain. And he recognized some of them. He was certain he'd seen some of them in battle. He felt at first an urge to run from them, then to fight them anew, then to laugh at them. But he let each of those urges pass him by. He could not change what had been. He could only act on what was now. And he felt it best to walk with quiet respect among them. Oh, terrible great warrior, why have you come here? They moaned. Why have you disturbed our sleep with your dreadful presence? They were afraid of him, you see. I am looking for the fairy realm, he replied softly, for no apology could suffice. The truth, however, might. Some laughed, some wept, some whispered still, but all said, Turn back, fool, turn back. There is no such thing. There is only death. But he did not turn back. He kept going, 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 into the shadows and into the frost. And the ghosts howled after him, all angry or sorrowful that he hadn't heeded their warnings but that sound faded away the further he went. He knew he was growing closer. It did not matter what anyone else said. He knew the truth. He knew his truth, at any rate. 
The knight traveled through this wood for another ten years, and now he was quite old and quite frail. His armor had crystallized into a pale yellow-green now, still decorated with white, but what was once his golden glory was now a sickly, yet somehow natural color. He feared that he might be at the end of his life, and that he might have been wrong about the fairy realm this whole time. Had he wasted the last years of his life, he might have used to simply enjoy the world without fighting, fighting, fighting anyone anymore. He had that fear, deep down, but when it reared its head, he gently said hello to it, but then let it keep going on its way. There was no point in inviting it to stay for dinner, not when he needed all the strength he could get. Famished and weary, he saw a hut in the woods. He fell off his horse and fell unconscious. When he woke, he was inside the little straw hut, and he smelled something burning. Sitting by a fire was a woman, younger in appearance than him, but somehow much, much more ancient in her demeanor. He could not make out much more about her other than her bright orange eyes. What do you need, Sir Knight? She asked. I am looking for the fairy realm, he answered gingerly. I did not ask you what you are doing, she said impatiently. I asked you what you need. He paused for a moment before answering. I need to keep looking. I need more time. I saw the fairy queen or, or king, I'm not sure, once, and I long to see them again. But I need more life. I need more time. She smiled. She was glad to hear it though he didn't quite know why. That is easy enough, for there is no such thing, she answered, and so it is easy enough to curse you with all the time in the world. She gave him a bowl of soup, hearty and strong and spiced with something he couldn't identify, and when it was done, he indeed did feel a little stronger. He felt much lighter, too, and infinitely more free. His horse even was stronger, too, faster, more nimble on its feet. He mounted the beast and stretched his shoulders. His arms didn't feel like tree trunks anymore, even if they still looked like them. They were unburdened by what he'd learned in training. They were reborn from their years of swinging a sword. They felt like how he imagined a fairy's arms might feel even. Light, young, graceful, free. He was unconcerned with how he appeared, but he could see that his hands were no longer swollen and calloused and scarred. When you see her, the witch said, bidding him farewell from her doorstep. Say hello to the fairy queen for me. The queen, he said.
and was shocked to hear the brightness of youth in his voice, a green voice. You mean to say that you believe in her, too? The witch smiled. I believe in many things, and I believe you saw someone, and it is enough that you believe in her. He paused, a little suspicious and more than a little confused. You're not going to laugh at me, or tell me to turn back? At that she laughed, and she patted the horse's hind leg, and it sprinted off into the woods, where it began to grow even darker and even colder. The story is unfinished because all that is known of that night is that he wandered forever and ever, never growing old, never growing sick, and never dying, because he was cursed with forever, which isn't a curse at all because that is just the curse of non-time, which we already have anyway. It is said that he still wanders to this day, riding his horse, a pale kind of yellow-green, just like his armor, both of them like the moss on the ground after a night of frost. And, it is said, that one day he wandered into a clearing, where he saw three horses, white, red, and black, sleeping soundly at the feet of a creature a creature with glowing golden eyes and long strange fingers with black claws and a mouth with fangs. Is that what I look like, Sir Knight? I haven't checked. It sounds like me. Ever-changing, but always containing elements of a past me a new me, an imaginary me. It sounds like me anyway. I think you've made it. Oh, friends, do you see him? In his armor of pale green, his eyes pale green too. His horse the same. For someone so large and so strong, he seems light as a feather. I didn't mention his long hair and very long beard, both having grown and grown and grown over centuries of wandering and turned silver from conquering the idea of time. His ears have become pointed from picking up the sound of forest, from listening to clues all around him, listening ever so carefully. He sees in me a fairy queen. He is, hmm, not quite correct, but I can be whatever, really. It is not for me to control what others see in me, but I see in him a fairy king, not because of the ears or the hair or the beard or the armor but because he survived many, many things against all odds in the name of this place 
where he and I and anyone can create anything. He survived. His horse knelt to complete the square, and he descended, and the four horses slept. I saw three more figures come out from the shadows now. Approaching the white horse was a woman, dressed in silver chains, eyes bright like two little suns, all thorns and roses. It was my very own darling chaos, a goddess, a spirit, a smile on her lips, and I knew then that she had freed the horse from the notion of conquering, of defeating, of victory, for she stood for relinquishing control after all. Chaos is queen of that, even if everyone around her seeks to master the world time, and themselves, she knows the true joy of allowing, of existing, of enjoying the ride. Approaching the red horse was a man, dressed in dark, dark blue robes, wearing golden slippers, his hair shockingly white and strikingly long and smooth and shining. Fangs in his smile, too fingers gracefully unimpeded by that extra knuckle they sported. It was my very own sweet vampire lord. I call him only One One One, for he long ago forgot his name. And I knew that, just as he had once freed himself, he had freed his horse from the shackles of war and battle, of fighting, of killing, For he stood for peace and gentleness, despite what anyone else thought of him. Approaching the black horse was a creature, taller than two human men, skin gray like rock. Hiding crystal teeth, shimmering crystallized horns too atop her head. Gorgeous and terrible to behold all at once with an unyielding kind of mirth on her strange and ancient face. It was my very own forest bride, the trickster who brought back joy to the forest and shared its bounty gladly. I knew that, as she was wont to do, she had freed her horse from famine and scarcity and need and want, for she stood for play, and joy, and abundance for all, and the sharing of whatever bounty came from the earth, regardless of whatever king or god or monster she must take down to do so. These three horsemen, I say to the wandering knight, who I might call the fairy king because oh why not, it seems have been summoned to protect my world. This world I refuse to leave behind. My horsemen of the... Now what is the opposite of an apocalypse, I wonder? 
The wandering knight let his eyes move back and forth as he thought about it. Life? He hazarded. <laughs> I laughed. No, no, my dear friend. That is you. And he looked at his pale horse, sleeping on the ground. For death was your given horse, I think. But you survived. But together, you make four. And perhaps you can stand guard against the apocalypse. If there even is such a thing. I don't really believe there is. But the idea of it is enough to combat. And perhaps with me, with my friends listening now, and with the spirits who will be here so very soon to celebrate life and death and everything before, after, and in between, we can all stave it off. Oh, my friends, I am a fool. Selfish and vain and decadent and flowery. But I believe that my little non-realities, my worlds beyond the world, are worth fighting for, and bringing into reality more and more, every day, every week. Maybe that's why I'm still here. Oh, I almost forgot. It's a full moon. That calls for more celebration. I asked my cards to help me celebrate, and I know now that I can do so by fiercely and peacefully fighting for what I think the world can be. That is what I will celebrate tonight. It seems the spirits are almost here. Many of them are approaching in little boats in the mist. I can't see the boats or the ghosts but I see little golden lights in the fog over the lake, and it brings me joy. It could just be fireflies, but that's nice too. Sweet dreams, my friends. Forgive me my silly stories. If you can't, then just go to sleep and forget about them by morning until you need another world to visit. Good night. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for episode 166 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is your host, writer, performer, producer, composer, etc., Kristen Zaza. I hope you're doing well. If you can't tell, I'm looking forward to Halloween. Things are getting busy in many ways here, indeed, and I'm certainly hoping to have All Hallowtide number 4 out to you by Wednesday next week at our usual time. But in the event that it's not, it will certainly be before Halloween. I'll see you there. Wear your best costume. Bring your favorite sweets. I'd like to thank everyone who supports the show via Patreon. Your support means the world to me, my friends, and I'm so grateful. 
If you're interested in supporting this way, I'll just tell you about a couple of perks we have. For any patron of $1 US or more a month, you receive access to my ever-growing soundtrack. And for $5 US or more, you get that as well as access to a monthly full moon tarot reading video. Next one will be coming out the day this episode is released, actually, since it's a full moon on the 20th, after all. If you'd like to learn more, head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd rather donate one time without either perk, you can buy me one or more metaphorical coffees at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. And I also have t-shirts and hoodies available at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I would also love it if you left a rating and review for the show on iTunes or anywhere else you can spread the word. That's a huge help to indie podcasters like myself. You can also follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at a dark cold night, Instagram at dark cold night podcast, or on my Facebook or YouTube channels just called on a dark cold night. You can also catch me on TikTok at Kristen Zaza, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-Z-A-Z-A, all one word. Thank you so much again for listening tonight, my friends, and always, stay well. Nurture all your realities. I can't be sure, but I suspect that it is a very good thing to allow them to coexist, perhaps even mingle with each other. Sleep tight, dear friends. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. So